Hey, Rarecast listeners, I wanted to tell you about a new program from Global Genes called Data DIY. Access to data is essential for advancing the understanding and treatment of rare diseases. The challenge for patient advocates and organizations is to be as savvy about data as researchers and clinicians. The Global Genes Data DIY program teaches organization leaders how to become empowered data owners and stewards. If you'd like to learn more about the program, attend an upcoming Data DIY workshop, or view resources, go to globalgenes.org forward slash data DIY. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Terry Pervalakis became immersed in the world of rare disease after his son Michael was diagnosed with spastic paraplegia 50, an ultra-rare and progressive neurodegenerative disease. Later this month, interdisciplinary teams from around the world will gather as part of a 30-day hackathon to develop therapeutic strategy for Michael's condition. We spoke to Pervalakis about Michael's disease, how the hackathon will work, and why he's trying to turn this into a sustainable model for other people with ultra-rare diseases to develop treatments for conditions without any. Terry, thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk about your son, Michael, SPG50, and the hackathon you're organizing to help find therapeutic strategies to treat his ultra-rare condition. Let's start with Michael. When was he born? How did his condition manifest itself? And how did he come to get diagnosed? Absolutely, yeah. So so Michael was born on December 17, 2017. Um, a typical normal boy, uh, typical birth, nothing out of the ordinary. Um, around six months into his life, we noticed that he wasn't raising his arms. And he just wasn't doing typically what our other children did uh, at that age. They brought him to the doctor. Um, they told us that he has something called low muscle tone and microcephaly, low, a small head. And they sent us to the largest um, hospital in Toronto, which is called SickKids for Children, and uh, started off with um, infectious disease. They thought potentially uh, he contra contracted Zika from my travels in Latin America. Um, slowly through that process, we found out that he didn't have Zika or CMV, and they sent us off to get um, an MRI. Um, through the MRI, they found that he had nothing major but a few concerns, such as a thinning corpus callosum, and uh, they decided that we need to go see neurology. Uh, about three to six months later, we visited neurology, um, and they did a West report, a whole exome sequencing on Michael, and uh, on April 2nd of 2019, uh, they diagnosed him with a disease called spastic paraplegia 50. And, and what is that? How rare is it? And how, how does it manifest itself? Um, yeah, so Michael was, is the only child in Canada. There's only 60 in the world with uh, SPG50 specifically. Um, what happens is it initially starts off as low muscle tone. 
and uh, microcephaly, and then it progresses into uh, spasticity from the lower extremities, uh, works its way up to the upper extremities, and then also degrades the mind. It's a, basically a neurodegenerative disease. And what's the prognosis for someone who has the condition? Typically, what they've seen from children with this disease is that um, usually they're paralyzed by, their, by 10 from the waist down. 15 to 20, uh, they're losing the ability to use their hands, and they have a severely degraded mental capacity. So it's, um, uh, there's no shortening of life. The expectancy is normal. Uh, the quality of life is just severely degraded. You've been able to engage with the researcher and get him interested in developing a gene therapy. How did that come about? So um, early on in this, so basically on April 2nd, as any parent would, they went home. We went home and we died. Um, curled up in balls and just cried for, for hours on end. And then the, the geneticist actually sent us a report about six hours later. We uh, went online for researching immediately. We found a family that had a disease called SPG47. So within the same uh, genetic condition family, the same protein, we spoke with them. Uh, they, cut, they, you know, they took care of us for the next two weeks, you know, talked us through it. They were based out of Boston. And, uh, you know, they were talking about how they were already working on gene therapy. So I took this knowledge and I do what I do best, which is, you know, um, solving complex problems for my work. And I started researching as much as I could. I read probably 100,000 pages in that week. Um, shortly after that, I met, met a gentleman named Sean Eakins, who was kind enough to guide us to go to this conference called AGSCT in Washington. Uh, and I went there and I booked um, meetings with the NIH, with Pfizer, Novartis, uh, Logic Bio, many other companies. Um, and I met six of the seven world experts in delivering a vector to the brain, basically doing a gene replacement therapy. Um, shortly after that, I flew to London, England. I met the seventh. And about a week later, I hired Dr. Stephen Gray to start building uh, a gene therapy model for us. What's the process and timeline for that? You know, when we started this process, everybody told us that the system was broken. Um, I think that was an incorrect statement. The process for a family with a rare disease uh, is that it doesn't exist. So a family that, you know, thinks that you're going to give um, an organization several million dollars and you're just going to walk away, unfortunately, it's not that easy. You have to build fibroblasts and skin cells and iPSC neuron cells and do a natural history study and order mice and arrange with all these individuals to work together. It's extremely complicated, um, but we were very fortunate to have amazing people guide us along this journey. And, uh, you know, we're slowly getting there. Unfortunately, nothing is fast enough. Nothing works as quickly as we want. Um, but we are hoping in the next uh, 18 months to have um, a gene therapy in clinical trials. I take it this is not something covered by insurance. How are you funding this? Uh, about four months after we decided that we were going to go ahead with this and we took out a portion of our mortgage to fund the initial cost, we became um, uh, fundraisers and marketers. We, up, I think today we must have hosted at least 20 to 30 events. One of them was two weekends ago where we had 1,500 people at a gala. And, um, you know, honestly, we've just been very lucky to have a great community, a great support system. Uh, the press has really been kind to us. Um, and we raised about 1.4 million Canadians so far in under six or seven months. 
at the same time, you're organizing a hackathon to find potential treatments for SPG-50. You're working with MIT and have gotten support from Amazon Web Services. This is this is actually a global event where interdisciplinary teams will work over a 30-day period. Walk us through how this will work. Yeah, so what happened was, you know, I've been a judge for many hackathons, part of my job. And uh, after listening to a gentleman named Ono Faber who... Um, had an ultra-rare condition himself, and how he did a hackathon in San Francisco over 24 hours and found the drug. I thought, you know, I thought through the problem and I said, you know, our diseases and these problems that we're trying to solve are extremely complex. Um, they're not one of those ones we can sort over a 24-hour period, and having it in one location kind of limits um, the knowledge and the power of our community, of these communities, of individuals that are extremely intelligent. So we thought, how can we get this to be broad? How can we get the, get um, researchers from around the world to collaborate together? So we went out to Global Genes, who said, hey, have you reached out to MIT? Um, they connected us to MIT. We talked to them about doing this event. They were on board. And then I reached out to my contacts at Amazon, who were very kind to us and offered their services. And that's when we came up to this idea of running a hackathon in seven cities well, actually, it was six cities, and then Novartis was kind enough to help us out as well. And now it's seven cities across the world on a 30-day hackathon to come up with a translational science solution for SPG-50. How are the teams structured? So that's an interesting piece. Um, our goal is that the teams will be structured based on uh, interdisciplinary skills. We actually hoped that we would have... Um, uh, drug data to be able to have also um, AI modeling around that drugs, around those drugs. Unfortunately, that, that wasn't possible at this time. So the teams will be formed around um, physicians, neurologists, um, uh, geneticists, uh, and people in the industry, hopefully, and uh, researchers in the field um, that are working on something similar. The reason this all came to be is as we were going and, and going to conferences and talking with different individuals, we kept hearing, have you looked at ASOs? Have you looked at this? Have you looked at that? And we have looked at a lot of things, but the, the technology is changing. What, what is available to, uh, yesterday is new today. So we figured let's try and do a no stone unturned event to make sure that we don't look back in a couple of years and say, wow, we missed that. We really should have been looking at that when we should have been looking at this. So our goal is let's get it out there. Let's see what, what is available. And I think most importantly is that we're not doing this event just for SPG-50 or even AP4, but we made everything reusable. The site, the information, the way we set it up, everything is intended to be reusable so that people that are less fortunate than us, that have large genes that cannot be amended, can use this platform to hopefully find a cure for their children or a cure for the disease that they're trying to amend. What are the teams provided with, and what are they actually being asked to deliver as an end result? So we've given them all of Michael's medical records, his MRIs, his West report, all the information on the um, uh, the gene over the last 11 years that, that, that various teams have put together. And basically we're just asking you know, a very simple question or a very simple challenge. If this was your child and you were determined to cure them in 18 to 24 months, what would you do? And we're hoping that will come back as a proposal um, to identify, you know, what mechanism, why this will work, um, how they intend to amend this disease if they were going to, 
and you know potentially what kind of funding they would need to continue. At the end of the hackathon, what happens? There's a judging process? Yeah, so what we're doing is because we don't know how many people there will be, um, if there's a lot of people, we're going to do a peer review, having them in, uh, review themselves. And then from there, we're going to take it from 20 to 5 based on preliminary judges. And then the final will be online judging by uh, world experts in the field to come up with the top three winners. And then potentially, if there are um, really good ideas, uh, our foundation will, will offer a grant as well as Ontario Genomics, um, which is an organization in, in Ontario, uh, is willing to offer a $25,000 grant uh, matched by us um, to any organization that comes up with some, or any group that comes up with a good idea in Ontario. How can someone put together a team or join one if they'd like to? So what we did was we actually left it open so they can log into the webpage, they can create a team through there. If they don't have um, a team that they're working for, if they're missing some pieces, we created a Slack channel for people to collaborate and communicate, and as well as have the seven locations where people can go um, meet other individuals, build their teams, uh, feel part of a community, and then uh, go away for those 30 days and really think through the problem rather than just come up with um, a half-baked idea. What's that website? Uh, the website's hackingtocuremichael.com, and um, you know it's, it's already up and running, and people can register you mentioned Ono Faber. Rarecast listeners may be familiar with his story. Listeners who are not can go into our archive and look at a past interview we've done with him. But how did his experience shape what you did? You know, I thought that was that experience was incredible. I think that um, Ono is a you know is an inspiring individual. I think the story of you know how he went through the process, how he thought through it, was excellent. And I think that. Um, we need more and more people like him to help this industry move forward because I think that parents have, you know, again, very little hope if they want to help their children. And, uh, you know, and it kind of motivated me to think through the problem and, and find, you know, alternate ways around what we're doing because, you know, people are doing, you know, um, connects and different methods to get multidisciplinary training. I think that's what this event's going to do even more. And, and hopefully someone smarter and, um, uh, more influential than me takes us on and makes it a, a much better event in the future. You mentioned you're looking beyond Michael and other SPG 50 families to use this as a model to address the therapeutic challenges other people with ultra rare conditions face. How might this be turned into a sustainable model? You know, I think if we actually have amazing partners such as MIT Hacks and Amazon. Um, and, you know, Jack Slabs and the other people that were part of this, um, I think what we could do is if we keep growing this over and over and over again, um, it'll grow to the point where we have such amazing um, uh, sponsors and supporters that, you know, really, really intelligent, intelligent group of individuals will start coming out to these events, companies as well, and offer support where there is none. For example, if someone goes and runs a high-throughput screen on 1,100 drugs and, you know, finds two or three compounds, well, if we take that model and we put into an AI, um, you know, algorithm or, you know, high, through, high throughput computer models, maybe we can find even better compounds or better FDA-approved drugs for those individuals. So something that may have worked okay, we might find something that works amazing, as an example. And how's Michael doing today? You know, unfortunately, uh, every day I wish I had more time. 
Um, or I can go back in time. Michael, unfortunately, is he's starting to progress. Um, the, he's starting to get a lot of spasticity or starting to get spasticity in his ankle. Um, it's moved up to his thigh a little bit. Um, he has had seizures, um, and he's about four or five months delayed from where he typically should be. Um, but thank God he's a happy, um, you know, little boy that doesn't understand what's going on. Um, he works extremely hard every day. He does about 11 therapies a week. Um, you know, I think in the bottom line is we want to improve Michael's life. We want to give him the best chance of life uh, as, as a normal life as possible. And, uh, and we're really hoping that, um, uh, advancements in gene therapy or the gene replacement therapy will do that for him. But, um, if we leave Michael to just, you know, follow the typical trend, um, you know, Michael's life, uh, quality of life is, is, will be severely degraded. Terry Piravalakis, organizer of Hacking to Cure Michael. Terry, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the time and, um, and I wish all the families out there working on a cure for their children the best of luck. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.